Today's program was brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it. What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future. It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just, it's, there's nothing like it. You know, there's, there's nothing like it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Feast Meets West, the show tracing the stories behind your favorite Asian foods. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on an aspect of Asian cuisine or culture by having a conversation with the passionate people from the world of Asian food. Today, we're talking to chefs Jenny Dorsey and Helen Nguyen in the second segment of a continued series on women in Asian food. To recap, last season we talked to Chef Lin of Bricolage and Chef Bao Bao of Baoberg and heard their inspirational stories of hard work and perseverance to build the restaurant that is wholly authentic to them. If you missed it, tune into episode 56 to learn how they decided to focus on Asian food at their restaurants despite formal French culinary training how they deal with the long hours and physical demands of a hectic kitchen, how they navigate the male-dominated and sometimes double standards in the kitchen, and what it's like being a boss. Now for tonight, we have a special twist. Most of the questions I'll be asking our guests, Jenny and Helen, have been sourced from the Cosmos community. For those of you that haven't heard of the Cosmos, they are a fast growing community for Asian women creators, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and artists to flourish and thrive. Through content and experiences, the Cosmos empowers Asian women to create the representation and culture change we deserve. And as an Asian American woman, I'm thrilled this supportive community exists. And now I'd like to introduce our guests for tonight before I turn it over to them. Jenny Dorsey is a chef, author, and artist specializing in multi-platform storytelling, fusing food with social good. Right now, she's especially interested in emerging technology, such as AR and VR, and she leads a nonprofit studio named Studio Atau, is the co-host of Why Food, another great podcast on this very network, and runs a popular pop-up series named Wednesdays. On top of all that, 
her first solo cookbook called Mastering the Instant Pot, a practical guide to using the greatest kitchen tool of all time, <laughs> bold, <laughs> is coming out next month. So uh, welcome and congrats, Jenny. Thanks for having me. All right, and Helen, Helen Wynn was raised in Seattle with roots in California and Vietnam. After over a decade in the real estate business and sales, she decided to pursue her passion in food and moved to New York for culinary school. She started an apprenticeship at La Apart under Chef Nicholas Abello and then worked her way into the kitchen of Chef Danielle Bolu famed restaurant Danielle, though trained in classic French cuisine, Vietnamese comfort food is where her heart is. She has been busy running a popular pop-up series called Saigon Social and is working on building a permanent home for it in the Lower East Side, slated to open later this year. So welcome and also congrats, Helen. Thank you very much. Um, to kick things off, ladies, can you just tell us a little bit more about the food you cook? So I would say um, this is always a tough question for me because I don't really cook um, Asian food or Chinese food. I'm uh, Chinese American. Um, the food I do, I like to call it like symbolic or interpretive food mm -hmm. with Asian roots, but they're definitely not traditional just because it has Asian ingredients in it. I wouldn't say it's new American either. Um, so yeah, I don't know, kind of like, <laughs> uh, my own, uh, take on like geo social political issues through food. Mm -hmm. storytelling through food. Well, for me growing up, I feel like I just would always make an effort to cook whatever food I liked, whether it be fried chicken fried rice, any kind of noodle soups, but um, in terms of like a, a business standpoint and also um, just trying to raise more awareness to the Vietnamese culture and cuisine, my focus in the last couple of years has been just on Vietnamese comfort food. So if I were to describe my style of cooking, it would be um, a, a balance or just like a combination between a lot of classic and traditional dishes that you would, you know, that I grew up eating, um, things that, you know, I grew up with, you know, like mom, like what mom used to cook, what mm -hmm. grandma used to cook. And then now it's, you know, taking those flavors and integrating the different techniques um, that I learned through, you know, my time cooking in New right. York, as well as inspiration from my travels over the years. Yeah, it sounds very holy you as well. <laughs> um, and where do you get your food inspiration from? Is it from mom and what you've had growing up? It was food that I grew up eating. Definitely food that, you know, my mom used to make at home, food that I grew up eating at my friend's house. Um, so that, I would say that, you know, everything used to be very comforting, you know, like a home-cooked meal, <coughs> excuse me, whether it be like through, you know, my mom or through my, you know, like my friend's parents. Um, it, it, you know, like with Vietnamese cooking, a lot of it comes in, in, in the courses where it's like you have your, your protein, you have your soup, you have your vegetable, and then you have your bowl of rice or your bowl of noodles. Or, you know, there's a lot of wrapping and rolling involved. Um, so I think that uh, that would be like the foundation of my, of my cooking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's what I'm very familiar with. It's what I grew up eating. And it's what I want, you know, strive to share with, um, with everyone. Amazing. And Jenny, I know 
your work is always evolving and you're doing different projects. Um, can you talk about like one of those projects and the inspiration um, for that? Yeah, so the main project that I've been um, working on right now is something called Asian in America. Um, it's a symbolic dining experience um, and six course meal that talks about six different topics about um, within the Asian American identity, um, everything from the model minority myth to um, the feeling of substitutability um, to the white savior complex. And so, for example, one of the dishes, uh, model minority, it draws parallels between the main uh, protein of that dish, which is veal sweetbreads. Uh, veal sweetbreads are often, you know, cast aside as like awful, they're gross and yada yada, but um, in gourmet settings, sometimes you will find them in one way when they're deep fried and they're coated in the sauce and somehow then they're like acceptable and you know okay and people are willing to pay for them and talking about how for many Asian Americans you're a minority and you're discriminated against but unless you kind of stay in your lane and act as the good Asian as the model Asian um, so anyway being able to explore some of those themes through food and so one of the big things that I always like to try and work on is how do you evoke like a visceral emotion with uh, food and sometimes that emotion is disgust and so I've been kind of working on how do you get that feeling when someone literally sees something and they feel almost like grossed out um, mm. maybe not in, in totally gross out <laughs> gross out in a certain way there's a dish that I serve called that's disgusting that talks about shame through food and it's like all these different things that used to be considered very gross like eel or garlic chives and then it's presented in a lunchbox and it has a little sign that says you know hello my name is and the name tag just says that's disgusting and I think a lot wow. of Asian Americans can identify with that yeah so you're drawing from personal experience and from the community and also I guess other media and what you're reading as well mm -hmm. um, that's really cool and have you always wanted to work in food? Did you know you would end up where you are now? I definitely didn't. I mean, retrospectively, I think all of us always are like, oh, I guess it makes sense now. But um, I was always a big eater. Like, I, I loved eating and I loved planning my trips around eating. But um, my parents were very traditional Chinese parents and that was not a career that was like not even on the table I didn't even know you people could work in food you know um, but when I decided that management I used to be a management consulting and I realized that wasn't for me I just needed a break um, I applied to go get my MBA and I had some time in between and immediately I was like I'm gonna go to culinary school I just didn't mm -hmm. really think about it so I think we all kind of have that little seed in there somewhere and just need the time to take the leap yeah, so um, Helen, one of our Cosmo sisters has been following your career progression. Um, <laughs> and she asked if you have any advice for people who want to make a huge switch like you did, um, you know, from real estate. How did you get the courage to make the jump? And also, how did you support yourself financially during the transition? Oh, so courage. I feel like... Um when I was younger, I never thought that I would have a career in food. I always grew up thinking that I would become an investment banker. <laughs> but I have always enjoyed cooking for family, friends. Was I'd always host weekly dinners at home and, you know, little pop-ups at friends' restaurants. And, you know, a lot of joy came from that. And I think that, well, you know, a little background um, it's like both my mom being growing up as you know with my mom being a single mom and having a sister who's 
10 years younger. She was essentially like a child, like my child, you know, <laughs> my daughter. And so um, with that, I assumed a lot of fatherly responsibility. So I've always wanted to, like going to culinary school was like one of my bucket list items. But I wanted to make sure that my sister graduated from school, had job security, because I knew how important that support structure um, is for the, like, you know, the growth in your adolescence. And so I just really wanted to make sure that, you know, she was okay. And so the minute she, she got the job offer and had the security and was super excited about mm-hmm. it, I um, sat her down for a conversation. And I was like, hey, now that you're okay, <laughs> I want to, like, take some time off and I want to go to school. I get emotional telling the story all the time. And she must appreciate that so much. And it was really cute because she looked at me. She's like, oh, don't worry. I'm going to take care of mom. You go and, you know, I love this. You know, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Like a group of like really strong, supportive women together. Yeah. So I went and I did that. And I didn't tell my mom (laughs) because she was so used to me traveling all the time. She thought it was just an extended vacation for me. And then, um, and I would always travel back and forth. So I guess to answer the question of how did you support yourself, um, I've been in real estate. I've been a broker for the last 12 years. Oh, 12 years. And for the biggest, uh, the first part of my transition, I was still traveling back and forth, you know, to Seattle every week, every two weeks, whenever I needed to. Wow. And so after school on Friday, I would take, you know, the last flight out, fly to Seattle, meet my clients, meet my team, Sunday night, take the flight out, you know, red eye out back to New York. And that was basically kind of how life was for a bit. And my mom would always see me. So she's like, oh, you know, Helen's still in town. But then as my schedule became a lot busier in New York, Mm -hmm. my trips home were less frequent. So she's like, what's going on here? And then Mm -hmm. one day she's like, hey, you know, are you like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, oh, I'm actually at school. And she's like, what are you going to school for? And I told her, oh, I enrolled in culinary school. And she's like, you did what? <laughs> she's like, I went into the restaurant business when I had first immigrated because that was the only option for me. I had mm-hmm. no skills. Mm-hmm. And that was the only job that I was able to secure. She's like, you're going backwards in life. Like, this is not, this is not a good decision. Like, mm-hmm. real estate market is at its peak right now. All of your friends and colleagues that are in the business are having, like, the best years of their career. Right. And... It was an emotional struggle for me every single day because our conversations would start and she would always, every day she'd call us like, Helen, you know, Helena, which translates to, Helen, are you done playing? You're ready to come back at home and work. Oh I'm like, mom, I'm working. This is, this is what I really love and enjoy doing. And I think it took some time for her, but I, every time I would come home, she'd see all these cuts and burn. She's like, what are you doing, my daughter? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. come yeah. back. And you had such a comfortable life. You know, why are you doing this? You know, working minimum wage. And I told her, it's like, you know, yeah, the hours are long. It's really hard. But I wake up every morning feeling excited and, mm. you know, really just looking forward to doing all over again. And I think after a while, she was just like, okay, so I guess this is, you know, this is what you really want to do. And then I would take my, my annual trips back, you know, to Vietnam to visit family. And then the conversation switched. She's like, oh, you should really ask your aunt how to make this dish. Or how, you know, she you turned know. around. Yeah, so she turned around because I think um, I held my very first pop-up in Seattle. 
So after about a year of being away and learning, you know, some new techniques and building my name for uh, a name for myself over here, I came back and I figured I want to be able to share what I've I've learned from you know you know to my nice. friends and family. So. I hosted a two-day two day pop-up. I invited my mom, and I think she saw the support, you know, of the community and people. She's that like, you're were, popular. Well, yeah, well, not only that, but she's like, wow, this, I guess this could be a lucrative business. And, you know, it's not what it used to be when, you know, like mm. back in the late mm. 70s or yeah. 80s. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, her questions would be least, you know, like less frequent on like, oh, are you, are you Like, kind why? Of, why? Yeah, she right? saw it with her own eyes. I think, like part of what I'm hearing from your story is also like teaching your Asian parent how to handle this (laughs) transition. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes with patience and education Mm -hmm. too, because there's a very huge cultural gap Mm -hmm. I feel. And for her, it's just like, you know, it's ingrained in her, you know, like she's in a sense kind of like traumatized where it's like, well, when she first came over, she was, you know, she didn't have any skill set. You know, you're adjusting to life in a new country. Um, And, She's like, I couldn't speak English, and the only job was to work in a restaurant. So she's like, that's the job that nobody else wants. That's the mm-hmm. job where people that didn't have any skills would end up. And so in her mind, she's like, is this what you're doing? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, no, Mom. It's, it's a completely different time. It means something now. You can actually have a career and you know, have it be respectable. You know? And I think it, it took some time, but I think it was the persistence and the education, um, not only to, you know, like a, a direct dialogue with her, but just, you know, showing her, you know, the things, the different things that other chefs are doing mm-hmm. and, you know, sharing their successes, you know, with, with her. And I told her, like, look, you know, this, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential here, you know? And I told her, like, worst case scenario, if all of this fails, real estate will always be there. I can always mm-hmm. come home, but this is what makes me happy and this is what I want to do. And I would really appreciate if you could, you know, just take some time to put yourself in my shoes. And she's like, well, you know, I do see that you're a lot happier. So at the end of the day, that's what matters to me. And my sister's been doing an amazing job of just kind of holding the fort back home. Mm. So I think that alleviated a lot of my stress and a lot of my worries um, in the transition, you know? So I think Having a, a, a very strong, um, supportive, you know, foundation. Because I mean, there was a lot of friends who were just like, you know what, you're doing, you're making the wrong decision. There was a lot of negative talk that was surrounding me, and it did bother me. And I, I tried so hard just to basically block out the noise and mm-hmm. just really focus. And it wasn't an easy task. I think even up until today, it's just every day. It's like you'll hear the negative things, you'll experience the positive things, and you just have to really put a lot of effort into surrounding yourself with like-minded people, people that will lift you up, people that are doing more than you, so that you can keep that mental health strong. Yeah. Because I think at the end of the day, that's just, that's what's going to keep you going. It's going to help you, uh, remind you, you know, the reasons why you started in the first place. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, so for our next question, um, it's, it's a big one. Um, do you feel like your race or gender resulted in unique challenges to your success? You know, what are some examples of that, if so? Um, I mean, I think 
it's the, it, the definite answer is yes. Um, and sometimes it's race and sometimes it's gender and sometimes it's both. Um, on the, I don't think I need to rehash that. The food world is definitely very male dominated and there are great men and there are terrible men. I don't want to generalize cause I've worked for some good male chefs as well, but for the most part, I have been really fortunate to, even if it was a male led kitchen, um, have had, uh, whether it was sous chefs, executive sous, or, uh, you know, even, uh, just like chef de parties that were strong female leaders. And I do look for that in a kitchen if I'm going to go work there, even mm-hmm. if it's just for a stage or something, because it really sets the tone of the kitchen. Um, in places that I've been without that, I find a lot of times it's easy to fall back into like kind of that bro mentality, the toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And even now with the Me Too movement, I think it's become a little bit more subtle, but it'll be little digs of like, are you sure you can do that? Like, do you think you're are you sure you're really qualified? And when I first started doing a lot of independent consulting, um, which is a, the bulk of my work now, um, that was something I buttressed up against a lot. Um, mm. Even if I was just going into, you know, a new informational session with a, a client, they'd be like, oh, I'm just, like, are you even a professional? I, w- I was asked that a couple of times. You're like, you're a professional chef, not just like a, like a, you cook at home for fun, like, you know, Sally Housekeeper. Um, there was a one time I was interviewing for an R&D gig. And um, I remember, you know, they had requested that they wanted um, like a, a steak, like a medium rare steak on the menu. So I made it for them. And they were like, oh, wow, this is cooked properly. You know, so there's always, there's right. definitely like subtle things that will get at you. But overall, I do think the industry is slowly changing. And mm-hmm. part of it is because um, women are coming forward and saying like, this happened to me. Like, this is how you can change. And I think we should do more of that like instead of going home and being like really angry about it um, right stop it then and there but of course that's easier said than done as well yeah and also like you said looking for um that female leadership mm-hmm. um yeah helen um any thoughts on that no, like in I terms of the yeah. same sentiment too like there's you know i think it's 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 not just when, when you're talking about like especially with now with the whole me too movement right it's not just prevalent in you know, male chefs, it's, it's also, you know, it's for female chefs too. There's yeah, going, there's always going to be, you know, the good ones, the bad ones, the ones that are a lot more considerate and thoughtful. And, um, ultimately I think it's also your choice. You know, it's like, is this the environment that I want to work in? Yeah. You know, what, what is my threshold? What is my tolerance? You know, like you don't have to, to put up with it. You know, mm-hmm. you can make that choice to either quit or find someone else to work under and learn from mm-hmm. too. So I think a lot of it, sometimes people are like, well, this person has this experience and if I'm able to work under this person, then I'll be able to slap that on my resume, right? right. Um, then it becomes a question of like, okay, well, what are you really sacrificing, you know, in yep. terms of your, your self-worth, your dignity, your confidence in mm-hmm. order to make these yes. things happen? So it's you know you can't always put you know point the blame on the other side you also have to ask you know yourself like what is valuable to you and what's worth it and yeah. from there make the decision i would say that one of the things i and i've been under terrible female led kitchens as well and i won't name who but um it's it's like very unfortunate that there's a very like I think women of the past, the old guard, are not mm-hmm. any better than the men of the old guard either because they're totally brainwashed into that mindset. And those of us who have the privilege to actually walk away from the jobs, there are some people who cannot walk away because they don't have the money. Right. They have to have that job. They just have to suffer the abuse, especially for undocumented immigrants and stuff. Like, um, 
for those of, who, of us who have the privilege to walk away from their jobs, like it's more important than ever that we do and that we say why we walked away and say like whether it's we can rebuttal in person or in an email, let them know like this was this is why I left. This is why you lost talent today because you treated me terribly. And so being vocal about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think that more the more that people speak out, mm. the more you'll realize that there's this whole community out there that's willing to support you. Mm-hmm. So let's say like today I experienced something that will cause me to leave my job that I feel like is really unjust. And I share it with you. I share it with Jenny. And Jenny's like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Here, let me, you know, there's this other chef or this other person that I feel that would be a great fit for you. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that you share, the, the more people will re- relate and extend their support. And I feel like people don't realize that there's a lot of resources out there that'll be able to help you achieve your goals without having to sacrifice, you know, your happiness or your comfort, you know, your comfort level. Right. But I think it's all, it's, it's also still a very sensitive subject for some people where they don't want to appear as weak or they don't want to appear as they're just being too sensitive that Mm -hmm. they don't want to share. And they feel like we're just going to endure it just because this maybe is the norm. But the more you share, the more you'll, you'll come to realize that, you know, there's this whole world of support out there that will be able to uplift you and help, you know, find your path, you know. Yeah, I feel like that sharing, that network um, kind of also is part of the answer to maybe one of the next questions here. Um, one of our Cosmos sisters wanted to ask about the inclusion rider concept. Um, so it's very interesting because this comes from the entertainment industry, but she yeah. would like to know if you have thoughts on how to apply this ethos to the restaurant industry and um, how you can or how you um, can use your experience as an Asian woman to uplift other marginalized people in food or support the labor movement. Yeah, I mean, I love that idea. I'm not completely sure, especially with the shortage in food right now, if that's like completely feasible, or at Mm -hmm. least I don't think that personally I have the brand to like walk into a place and be like, I'm not willing to work here. Yeah, I'm a celeb. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm not quite there. I, I wish I had that sway. But that being said, I do think that we can do our part in, for example, there was this, um, outrage recently over a Chinese restaurant called Lucky Lee's because it was marketed as clean Chinese food as if Chinese food was already like dirty or something I don't know if you heard and so a lot of um, people rightfully said you know if they had women of color people of color on any of those PR teams any of their marketing teams any of those like anything that they interacted with ever this would not have been an issue and I think like as more and more people start pointing that out people start realizing hey before I do go out to market with a new concept or before I do something related to food or before I perhaps cook another culture's food like which I'm totally okay with if you can do it respectfully I should consult other people to see if I'm getting a to get a gut check Mm -hmm. you know and having making that like a thing in our industry i think could be maybe the first step towards what hopefully will right, one like day a be panel like, of actual it's like doing people due, yeah 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 due speak to it right, right. yeah doing exactly due diligence and, and making sure that this is you know you're you're still paying respect to the culture and the cuisine that you're cooking and you're you're basically taking the the right the, the right steps or the respectable mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. steps in in marketing because right. marketing is such a huge thing in you know, today's business where you have to 
there's really no excuse to not do your due diligence, right? Otherwise, it could either make or break your, your business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what you thought was maybe like okay 10 years ago is completely not okay now. So even yeah. with the times, those things change. Yeah. And this totally reminds me of another uh, lucky incident, which <laughs> is Andrew. Of uh, <laughs> yeah. So many luckies. Lucky, I know, oh. but so unlucky, lucky cricket. <laughs> um, so yeah, what are your opinions on ownership of a cuisine? Um, what do you define for yourselves or the general public on appropriation versus appreciation how do you strike that balance someone asked me this recently and i think the best um answer i could give about appropriation versus appreciation is like uh, you can cook or you know take on aspects of a different person's culture i don't think that's bad because you know globalization we're always sharing um at the end of the day chinese food tastes good right yeah and you know cultures have bled through each other like Silk Road, for example, you know, there's a lot of that in history, but I think where appropriation um, can be defined is when someone is profiting off something else that perhaps isn't uh, like they weren't born into and that they're not giving back in any sort of way. They're just taking, Uh, it's like a one-sided. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like as an Asian and the sad thing is that Asian American chefs can cook Asian American food and also not give anything back. So that's also a little bit of a tricky question. Mm. Um, Is it everyone's moral obligation to give back? I don't know. But I do think that especially when you're cooking a different culture's food, there is a implicit uh, requirement that you are a respectful. So you don't implicitly trash their food by saying like Chinese food is dirty buy and promote your own Chinese concept. Right. Um, But also, you know, do something bigger or more useful for the community. So you're not just taking something, making money off of it and kind of like forgetting the people and the culture that it came from. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of a experience. um, A couple months ago, I went to a dinner event and the chef was cooking a Vietnamese themed dinner and everyone was really supportive. He's an insanely talented chef. But he started the dinner off um, with... with Is he Vietnamese? He's not Vietnamese. um, uh, And he started off with a dialogue. He he had said, okay, I just want to let you know that, you know, my inspiration comes from like a lot of my travels, a couple months of traveling in Vietnam. And I want to present to you the very first farm-to-table experience in terms of Vietnamese food. Oh, no. And so... (laughs) What about all those farms you probably ate on? (laughs) Right. And so... You know, my friend and I looked at each other. We're like, this was their way of life, not not by choice. It, you know, like you, when you when you think about like my family, they, they they're from like the countryside of central Vietnam. My my family goes to the market, you know, and goes to the farm to to buy their products, right? Because there wasn't any refrigeration, so it was farm to table by default in terms of lifestyle. So it's not anything new. It's become a trend over the last like the decade or so. But when it's like, you know, for me, it's like I understand where he's coming from. But if he were to have this dialogue with my mom, I think she would be very offended because she's like, no. So basically you're saying the way that we eat is you're the one that you created it. You created or you're introducing it. And Mm -hmm. to say to to boldly say that this is the very first. Right. Like, I don't think that's very correct. So. You could see the interest level in in the room. Everyone came to see him. Mm-hmm. The tickets were sold out like way in advance, and people would take a bite, and you can just tell that 
the the whole demeanor and energy just dropped just yeah. because they keep thinking about that they keep thinking about it and yeah. it's just like wow you know we were really supportive because you know it was really nice to see that you're such an advocate for you know like for our food and for our culture mm-hmm. but to make a bold statement like that that's um, not and to claim it right yes yeah. it's not thoughtful and it offends you know like our ancestors because you know again it's it was by default and it was you know in terms of accessibility that that's that's the only thing they were able to do it's not a trend it was a way of life (laughs) yeah yeah um all right we're gonna take a really quick break and we'll be right back with more feast meets west Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lillypool Terrace. Executive chef Morgan Jarrett's unique menu offers warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio has plenty more. Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I'm the host of Feast Your Ears here on HRN. My show explores the world of food through storytelling. Every week, I talk with people inside and outside the food world about how experience has shaped what they eat and cook. You can find Feast Your Ears wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, welcome back. Um, we have Helen and Jenny here in the room. Um, so you guys have amazing things going on in your life. How do you manage a work-life balance? A lot of fernet. <laughs> <laughs> Good <just> digestion. <laughs> I don't know that I have a good work-life balance. I feel mm-hmm. like you can't do one thing without sacrificing another. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were to ask me this question 10 years ago, I'd be like, oh, yeah, just, you know, have a schedule, write everything down, follow your schedule, you have a routine. But now I think about it, and I think about it often because I I don't sleep as much as I used to mm-hmm. because my mind just does not shut off. And... People are like, oh, well, you know, you do these things to get a work-life balance. And, and I think about it, I'm like, no, upon reflection of like my last couple of years here, I've had to make a lot of sacrifices in order to achieve some of my personal and professional goals. So there really isn't a balance. It's just, you know, what is it that you really want to do? What is it that you really want to achieve? And how bad do you really want it? You need to be able to want it like, you know, bad enough to in order to sacrifice, you know, certain things. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think work-life balance is a myth. And I mm-hmm. also think that it's unfairly targeted at women because we're, women are expected to have it all. You're, like, going to be fit, and then you're going to have your baby, and you're going to take care of your baby, and then you're going to have, like, three jobs, and then you're right. going to be a Right, superhuman. Right. And then go home and clean the house. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I don't feel like, you know, successful men ever get asked about work-life balance, or they kind of brush it under the table. But anyway, I, I do think that it's about prioritization. Like, I really struggled with this because I always – you know, I, I'm Asian and I have a really good guilt complex. So I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't do this today. Like I did, I suck at everything. And um, the last couple years I've been working on, well, this just realistically is not that important to me. Like mm-hmm. working out is just not that important to me. Um, I was talking to someone about this recently is that I just don't get the joy out of it that like my husband does. It, he has its way up on his list. Um, that's part of, you know, life for him. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it's like, if I get it, it's great. But like, I have given that up unless I just have a miracle and I have extra time. Um, but you know, things that I don't compromise is like, I like to unwind for an hour every other day with like law and order or something. Cause that really calms me down. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> find the, your savior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Find your, the thing that like yeah. really actually helps you. Um, it's like if it's important to you, you'll find a way, but right. if it's not, you'll find an excuse. Yes. Right. Yes. You will <laughs> carve out time for the things yeah. that matter to you. And, um, I guess, you know, part of this is also, there is a perception that everyone who's working in the food industry is dealing with, you know, the long hours, the physical demands, and also there's a lot of issues with um, people dealing with, like, unhealthy, like, mental health. Yes, coping mechanisms. Yeah, yeah. So um, how are you guys feeling about, you know, trying to get to that good place with your mental health? I, I think a lot of this, what you were saying earlier about having the right network, I think it's your there's your mental health definitely goes through like ebbs and flows Mm -hmm. and if you don't have the right people in mind it's really easy I think to spiral out of control um I really had to when I went to food kind of had to do a refresh of all my friends because I felt like wow all my my previous ones didn't understand me or they had different priorities yeah they had different that's a nice way to put it (laughs) they weren't shitty people they were just you know you know for me it was like some people would get mad oh you're missing another birthday you're missing another event Uh. but then and then it's just like I already feel so stressed that I don't need this added guilt of not being able... I already feel bad enough that I'm away from friends and family trying to chase this career that's so physically and mentally... Don't put more guilt on me here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you turn around and you meet people who who get it. They don't Mm -hmm. have to be in the same industry, but in the same, like, energy and wavelength. And they're like, oh, it's okay. And sometimes you'll go, like, weeks and months or, like, years without, you know, seeing them. And then... Like, don't worry, it's okay. And then you, you meet them again for even just for a five-minute chat. Yeah. And you pick up, like, nothing ever, you know, like... The good energy because right, they're like, yeah, how's yeah. your passion energy. going? Yeah. Or it's just like, hey, you know, I'm having a bad day. And some people be like, oh, my God, me too. And it just kind of spirals into this negative, you know, yeah. black hole. Whereas if I were to tell, you know, talk to Jenny and like, hey, I, I really had a bad day. She'd be like, oh, it's okay. Things like this happen, you know, just, you know, the, tomorrow's a new day or mm-hmm. there'll be a lot of more positive reinforcement yeah. and it does wonders for your energy. You know, your mental health is so, so important. And I think people with the similar worldviews as you also help you, even if you guys like want to commiserate a little, it's like yes. they understand, they don't brush off what you're having a hard time with like I think some of the things I've run into recently is like I'll be like oh this happened to me and I'm feeling really bad about it and they're like well you're still lucky because you like to you get to do what you like 
And it's like, well, that's really great, but that didn't fix the problem of me having a bad day. Whereas I have a good friend who's, uh, I've been working with her. She's a dancer and a choreographer, so totally different art form. But we can commiserate about when men demean what we do right, or a right. client doesn't mm-hmm. want to pay us enough. And then we can stop and be like, but look, we, we still like what we do. You know, so I think it's, yeah, getting someone who's like on your wavelength. But it's also, too, it's just like when people see you at a certain, you know, success means different. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, everyone has a different uh, definition for success, but they see you achieve certain um, goals or, you know, attain certain like accolades or recognition. And I feel like some people are just conditioned to think, wow, well, you know, she or he has such a great life, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. it's so easy. And it's kind of like the iceberg illusion where it's like you see the top but you don't see what goes on like underneath of course and I think when people make these kind of comments they're not very sensitive to the daily struggles that Mm -hmm. we don't share because obviously there's sometimes where I'm I'm learning to open out like open up and share like um, some of the not so great experiences you know with people through social media just so that they know that I'm human and that I go through these these struggles but at the same time I don't want to perpetuate that kind of energy. Yeah. So I pick and choose what right, I want right, to share because right. it's like, okay, well, you know, this is what is good and I want to keep the positive energy going. But there's a lot that happens behind the scenes and a lot of stress and struggles that, you know, that we deal with that people don't see. They just see, oh, wow, you know, you're just, you have like a great life. You get to travel, you get to cook. It's you're eating yes. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're eating all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hate that one. <laughs> yeah. You must eat so great. I'm like, no, not really. No, <laughs> like, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that kind of also uh, answers partly maybe this next question too. But what's one thing you wish all customers knew about the food and hospitality world? I think so it's like not always that glamorous, you know? That's yes, definitely that's a definitely part of it. One. But I also think that um, I've seen some bad behavior over the years, unfortunately, and I've seen some really great behavior. But I do think that there is a level of um, like non-understanding that hospitality and food is a real career. These people who are servers, they are professionals. You know, they're not like some person in between jobs who picked up a gig. Like these people are like these very are- passionate about their their jobs it's not a job it's it's an actual career whereas Mm -hmm. people are like oh this person is just you know serving me because doing this to get by for now yeah okay and i feel like many times they're not treated with the respect they deserve because of that because there's this like oh you just are a person i can kind of crap on and i have a real you know and Mm -hmm. so there's this like uh, implicit like i feel my job is more important than yours and i think that kind of energy is really really not only just demeaning to the people um the, uh, us who work in the hospitality service but also it just it, how are we supposed to all move forward as society if we f- for whatever reason assign value to certain things right. where you know we're all very important like what if there were no garbage men tomorrow what would ha- like you know what would happen to our society so yeah it's yeah I think a lot of people don't realize that it takes you know like it's very cliche but it's true it takes a village it takes a whole team like when you're dining at an establishment that that plate it's it's being washed by somebody mm-hmm. you know it's being the food is being plated by somebody it takes a whole team like the head chef is just as important as the janitor as a dishwasher oh, yeah. as you know the prep cook um a lot of people don't see that and sometimes when you walk by 
you know, a person who, you know, is, is dressed like a dishwasher or a janitor, I think some people are very quick to judge. Yeah. But they don't understand that um, they're such an important part. Like, they're the backbone and the foundation of every hospitality, you know, um, group. And um, they, you know, they, they put in as much heart and effort. Of course. Yeah, you, know, you see the stars, you see the media coverage of, like, the yeah. head chefs, but right. the other, like, 200 people in the restaurant aren't mentioned. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a personal pet peeve of mine, especially at, like, pop-ups and stuff where chefs have more face time is when they don't, like, acknowledge the team. Um, especially in a small event like a pop-up, you know, you have you have time to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe at a fine dining place is, like, some of the places you used to work, it would be kind of weird to do that or, like, it's kind of, yeah, to parade everyone out, but... Everyone should just be acknowledged because I think, you know, pe- we we all know what it feels like if your like prep cook doesn't show up. Like everyone is in the shits, right. and like right. that person is so important, and then they usually don't get any of the limelight. Yeah, so customs should change those, yeah, standards. Um, knowing what you know now, is there anything you'd do differently in your career, or what would you tell your younger self from five years ago? I would say um, if you don't like something or you don't like someone, then just go with your gut. Um, there's a quote from, I think it's from Oprah. I keep, I keep saying <laughs> I this quote. I love this already. And That's then a- I can't, I'm like, I think it's Oprah, but then I'm like, well, oh God, we'll Google check this yeah. later. <laughs> um, where she says, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And I feel like there are many times where I didn't, but I was like, oh, maybe they're not that bad. Or maybe this is not that bad of an environment. Or I'll maybe give them another chance. Give, I'll give you another oh, okay. chance. And like, if your gut says one thing, you you should follow it. Um, that sounds kind of cliche, but I think everyone in hindsight always thinks like, oh man, I should have. And I, I would encourage my younger self to be more confident in those. Mm, love that. Yeah. Okay. Confidence in yourself. I think I'd like to piggyback on that. I feel <laughs> like... Um, Happiness is very important. Um, and some people are like, well, happiness doesn't pay your bills. You know, there's certain, circum- certain circumstances where I understand, you know, that to be true. But I feel that, you know, if you had the opportunity to really just sit there and reflect on what you want to do and you want, how you want to spend your life and who you want to be able to spend it with, if you find a career, like, make sure that you love what you do because if you don't love what you do, you're not going to be very good at it, you know. Oh, it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> you have to really love what you do. And I feel that sometimes people are so situated on, like, the monetary results that they neglect their mental health. Mm-hmm. And with the mental health, you know, it's just like I said, everyone has a de- different definition for success and different definition for happiness. But, um, you know, you really got to find that thing that drives you. And if you're not passionate about it, it shows, Right. And the sooner you figure that out, I think the sooner you would be a lot healthier in all aspects of life because it trickles down, right? (laughs) And also, if you're unhappy, it just piles on your bills because I feel like unhappy people, you find other ways to deal with it, like buying stuff or like spending (laughs) unnecessarily on other stuff. I mean, I know when I was unhappy, um, I used to work in fashion and management consulting and I had thousands of dollars of clothes and shoes and like one day I realized it's like no matter how much money I spend I can't fill that hole in my heart with (laughs) fucking shoes you know shoes are just shoes although certain movies would tell you that you can I know I (laughs) know it's absolutely true though I used to go shopping 
every two to three days because I go in real estate, I wanted to look good, you know, mm. so like oh, that I can yeah. feel good. Mm-hmm. And then there's a certain perception that you had to keep so that if your clients are looking at you and if you're not dressed correctly, then how are you going to be able to represent them in an important mm. transaction? Now it's like I don't shop anymore. Mm. I wear the same 10 outfits, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. on rotation. Yeah. And, you know, I had an event last night where I had to wear heels and I, oh, no. after a while, I was like, you know, I'm really sorry. I have to get back into my tennis shoes, you know, but that was my life before, right? I put the value in all these materialistic things because I felt it was yeah. very important. But yeah. now it's like, no, it's no, your, your happiness kind of like, it, it transitions into mm-hmm. something else the more you become aware of yourself and mm-hmm. what's really important to you. Yeah, what you value. Yeah. It's not the heels. No, yeah. it's not. <laughs> or I maybe mean, like one photo and then like change into the tennis shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're very nice to look at, but it's just not no longer practical. Yeah. Um, so what are some other tips you have for women entering this field? Um, I think it's really easy to get into a mindset it's like a zero-sum game and I think that's also something that has kind of been ingrained in us is like also I think with Asian American women because it's like sometimes you're there's like three women and one of you are Asian it feels like there's not enough space to have another Asian American woman you know and that causes a lot of infighting um and I, and that brings everyone down. And so, you know, there's... Have gr- you experienced that? I feel like it's never... No one ever really says it, but mm-hmm. there's definitely... You f- feel the energy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, wow, we have like a lot of Asian girls in here. And there's like two of us among 20 people. You know <laughs> what I mean? And there's like a... It's a, this implicit like, well, then we can't have a third one. Right. Mm. So you're and then if perhaps a third one comes to stage, then you're like, oh, like I got to I got to prove them better than her because they don't I don't want them to hire her over me because I want to stay here. So then but like that's that's like all in your head. Well, it's not in your head, but it's you know, that's not actually the way it should be. Um, This quote, I'm positive it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She someone asked her, like, what um, when will she be happy with the composition of the Supreme Court? And she said, when it's all women. And they were like, oh, well, that's so, you know, and she's like, why? It was all men for a long period of time and nobody complained, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, but we are so, like, ingrained to think, like, oh, well, maybe it should be 50-50 at best. But, like, why can't it be all women? So I think it's, like, shifting the paradigm of what we even expect reality to be um, is hard. And I struggle with it constantly. But it's, like, something that we can work on together, especially as the younger generations coming up. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think my advice would be, and it's something that I still struggle to work on every single day, is to really take time to invest in yourself, to take care of yourself, Um, whether it be like in physical form or mental form. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like your mental health is just as important, if not more important than your physical health. And um, just, just whether it be like taking an extra walk or having you know, a day to yourself where you just read, write, or spa, like you really need to take that time to yourself to reset to reflect and to recharge because I feel sometimes we get so caught up in the rat race of trying to go at life, you know, a thousand miles, you know, every single day to achieve all these, you know, goals that the one thing, the most important thing, you know, we're neglecting is just that self-care. And if you don't do that, then you'll reach a breaking point where like you'll wear yourself out and it does a lot more damage on the, in the long run than it does in the, you know, like in, in the short term. So my advice would be is to really take time to invest and take care of yourself. Yeah, that's really great. Um, okay. So what are your priorities for the next few months? What do you guys have coming up? Um, so I have, um, 
not taking care of my mental health by planning <laughs> too many things um, in which I am really now very stressed out and my husband said this to me he was just like this has, has this has to stop like and I, I agree um, so I have two uh, at least two, you're admitting to it so yep. that's the first oh, step yeah. I wake yes. over committed myself um, and now I have to do it and now I'm like I never want to do this again um, so I have a two day pop up for Asian in America at the Museum of Chinese in America next weekend the 19th and the 20th and then I have a couple video shoots and then I'm flying out to Los Angeles to do another two night event for Asian in America um, congratulations yeah. with the LA Pacific <laughs> Film Festival which is exciting but also very, very stressful cool. because I don't know anything about LA and where to source things and my prep place fell through and I need people to come work for me I think I can help you with that oh, I know yay. people in LA yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so th- there's like logistics there um, but I'm happy to say that well, I'm sure we'll get it sorted out, and I um, hopefully finalize the location for another project I'm working on with my friend, who's the Kate, um, Kate, who's a dancer choreographer, to do another VR food and dance project in June. Um, so just slowly trying to get into a rhythm with another project. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as Asian America has been so amazing, I'm feeling a little creatively burned out and just want to work on something different. Sounds great. Oh, and for me... Um so I found a location, as you know, <gasps> for Sion Social. So we have a permanent home and we're not like a traveling, you know, Vietnamese pop-up anymore. Where is it? Are you allowed to say? It's in the Lower East Side. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's the Lower East Side. And uh, I'm, I'm really hoping for a summer opening. Mm-hmm. So I think my, my focus will be on just building that. Uh, I, I feel like I'm still learning the process every day, and some days I feel like I don't know what I'm doing at all. <laughs> so my, I think that would be like in the foreseeable future. It's 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 the only thing that I should be really focusing on right now, aside from the mental health part. But um, yeah, it's it's a huge undertaking. I feel, um, especially in the city that's so grand like New York I mean if I were to do this on the west coast I have the support you know the the networks and here it's like even if you had that you have to relearn the protocol the laws like Mm -hmm. all the legalities it gets really complicated and incredibly overwhelming so step by step yeah step by step we're we're cheering you on (laughs) thank you the way Um, okay, before we wrap up the show, I'm just going to shoot off some quick fire questions, just a few of them and they're all food related. So just please share what comes to mind first. Um, what's your favorite restaurant in New York city right now? Oh, this is a hard one. Wait, you go first. Oh, right now, like this week. This week, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I feel like this is the same answer I have every week, but I really love the fried chicken and the brisket yeah. sandwich at the Commodore. Oh, so <laughs> that's like my guilty pleasure. Yeah. It's so Wait, good. Wait, is, is it Consistent. together? Fried chicken and brisket. Yes. So Ooh. before I used to think that, oh, I would come here just for the fried chicken because they have this biscuit and this honey butter glaze that's so amazing. And I was like, this is, this is basically, you know, the dish to order. And then... One day, my fiance had ordered the brisket sandwich, and I took a bite of it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. I think <laughs> this is my new favorite. So sometimes we order both. Sometimes it's one or the other. But I feel like it's, it's, that's comfort food for me. <laughs> Sounds so good. Um, I guess I've been really craving um, one of my favorites is pie boat noodle um, over in Astoria. I think they have a location on the Upper East Side as well, but I've heard it's not the same. Um, but yeah, I like go out to Astoria just to eat there. What it's kind so, of noodles? Uh, boat noodles, like Thai boat noodles. Oh, Thai. Oh, yeah. So mm. good. Oh my God. Okay. Um, 
What's a restaurant you haven't been to yet, but it's on your hit list? I want to go to Atomics. Same. <laughs> My friend works there now, so I'm like, yes. <laughs> I actually want to go to one of Jenny's events. I've been trying oh, to um, to come. schedule, and you know, it, it hasn't worked out because it's either you know she's in town, I'm not in town, and yeah. vice versa. But I, I've been following a lot of your. I would love yeah, to have and I, you. I keep on hearing your name pop up. So I was really excited to know that we're we were going to be here tonight to share yeah, this Yeah, we're going to make this happen. Yeah. And we have a mutual friend who's also a Jenny who's been yeah. working with me and she's amazing. So, so maybe yeah. if I can't get into one of these sold out events, I'll just come and like just start peeling carrots or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's always a way. Work, work my way in. <laughs> um, what's a seasonal ingredient you're excited to work with? Like right now or just Yeah, right uh, now. White asparagus right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Um, it's it's you know it's it's expensive and I think I have the luxury of using it just because I work you know in the restaurant that I work at yeah they use it for a lot of parties and so we get to eat some of the scraps or you know like there's extra orders or whatnot and I just really love indulging it and just because you know it only happens every season right like every other season I just saw someone post that they found some green almonds and I'm like where mm. did you get these I want them right now they're so good they're like um, if you haven't had them they're unripe almonds basically so before the almond has fully formed and it's still encased in like a fuzzy green um, skin yeah I guess it's a skin and the inside the almond is like gelatinous it's, it's so delicious wow. good. Yeah. so so okay. good yeah. I'll have to look for this this is something completely new for me um, okay, last question. What's something you could eat for a whole week straight? Rice. <laughs> yeah. Rice. I would say, yeah, like rice noodles. Like rice maybe. noodles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you for all the answers and for sharing your stories with us, Jenny and Helen. Thank, thank you, you for having me. <laughs> yeah, and that wraps up our season. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Did you like this episode? What did you think of the season? please leave us a podcast review to let us know your thoughts and what you want to hear more of. We truly love getting feedback from you. Also, don't forget to check out our Cosmo sisters and what they're up to at jointhecosmos.com or at jointhecosmos on Instagram. And we'll be back next month with more awesome conversations from the world of Asian food. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.